In the ancient city of Corinth, nearly 2,000 years ago, there were some Christians who doubted the resurrection. By implication, that seemed to make them doubt that Jesus himself rose from the dead bodily, which completely undercut their faith in its entirety. But even more directly, they seemed to doubt that they, as people who belong to Jesus, would ever experience a bodily resurrection, that they would ever raise from the dead, transformed into a body that's imperishable, incorruptible, like Jesus, and able to be in God's presence for eternity. And that was a huge issue to the Apostle Paul to address. In fact, 1 Corinthians is full of issues that the Apostle Paul had to address with these Christians, questions that they had, misunderstandings they were experiencing, blatant sin that they were committing. But when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul seems to feel an especial heat and passion with addressing this lack of understanding that they were exhibiting when it came to the resurrection. And that's not just because he was a big proponent for good theology, though he undoubtedly was. It's not as though our entrance into heaven and our citizenship there is going to require some sort of exam, so we wanted to make sure we had the right answers for the test. No, understanding that our lives, that human history is barreling toward a moment when Jesus comes again and resurrection occurs is critical to our ability to understand what Jesus is doing now, why Jesus will come again, and how we should be thinking about our lives in the meantime. Just listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 20, where Paul said, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. That's what we're heading to. God being all in all. We're heading to a day where Jesus comes and the kingdom might be delivered to God, where we can all be united and living in his presence, which, incidentally, is what God's always wanted. It's what the whole story of the Bible was about. Because if you go back to the first three pages, if you go back to Adam, the first man, then you'll see that when God created him, there was no death in the picture. That if we would just trust God to teach us what's good and what's evil, if we would just live in relationship with him each day, we would have access to the tree of life. We'd be able to live in God's presence forever. 
but we chose sin. And that choice to sin, to decide for ourselves what we think is right and wrong, good and evil, that brought corruption and futility onto the whole creation. That brought death into the world with that sin. And that constantly stood in the way of us and God. Sin and death kept us from experiencing life the way God created us to, from living our lives in God's presence. Jesus came to fix that. By dying for the forgiveness of our sins, yes, and by raising from the dead to triumph over death itself. Yet, even as people who've repented of our sins and been buried with Christ in baptism, we still die or fall asleep, as the New Testament writers often refer to it. And sometimes we condense the gospel story so much that we simply think of it as when we die, we go to heaven. But that's not quite the picture that Scripture paints. Scripture describes Jesus reigning right now, actively, over his kingdom until that day when he comes to defeat all his enemies, the last of which to be destroyed is death itself. Why is Jesus coming again? To defeat his enemies, to destroy death. That source of so much fear in our lives, of so much pain in our existence, of terrible separation in our relationship, death. Jesus is coming again to destroy it. He's reigning over God's kingdom right now. As he told his apostles just after he rose from the dead, all authority in heaven and on earth will be given to me? No. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is reigning right now. And when we choose to belong to Jesus, we're living as though that reign is all there is, as though sin and death themselves have already been overthrown. And the reason we wait for Jesus to still come is for that thing that we're practicing for, that thing that we're living as by faith now, can become reality. That Jesus can come and his enemies can be overthrown and death can be destroyed and we can be united to live with one another in God's presence forever. That's what happens when the end comes. That is why Jesus is coming again, so that that can be accomplished. But that's very different from what we might be used to, and it raises a lot of questions. And the Apostle Paul will be happy to provide answers to those questions. But the simplest answer is to simply say, we'll be like Jesus. <laughs>